Welcome to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton. And today, I am thrilled to have Mr. Bob Dalton in as a guest. He's an inspiring entrepreneur. He's a podcast host, a TEDx speaker, an author, and so much more. As the founder and CEO of Sackcloth and Ashes, Bob is on a mission to make a difference in the lives of those experiencing homelessness. And for every blanket purchased from his company, he donates a blanket to a local local homeless shelter, creating a powerful ripple effect of warmth and compassion in communities all across the country. But Bob's vision goes well beyond just providing blankets. He seeks to promote localism as a core value in modern society. And through his nonprofit media organization, Love Your City, he amplifies local solutions and he fosters a sense of community and togetherness. In this episode, we we talk about Bob's journey and his why and exploring how his passion for social impact led him to become a catalyst for change. And his story is absolutely remarkable and his dedication to serving others will leave you inspired and motivated to make a difference in your own community. So join us. We're going to learn from Bob Dalton's insights, his experiences, and his endeavors in the world of social entrepreneurship. Here he is, Mr. Bob Dalton. All right, Mr. Bob Dalton, welcome to, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So there, there um, I will have already provided an intro to you and who you are, but is there anything that just to kick things off, you want to share and give your own self a little intro? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, I come from uh, Coos Bay, Oregon. So I grew up in a little town on the Oregon coast and at like 19 years old, I moved up to the middle of Oregon in the Willamette Valley. And um, that's where I spent the majority of the first part of my life. And I ended up starting my company, Sackcloth and Ashes in Salem, Oregon, or like right on the outskirts of Salem, Oregon. And it's a blanket company for every blanket that we sell. We donate a blanket to your local homeless shelter. And the whole concept of the company was inspired by my mom who went through a series of events and ended up experiencing homelessness. And her story and her journey inspired me. I was 24 at the time to do something about homelessness. I was the guy that would drive by people on the street and whisper under my breath, go get a job. And then when my mom went through a series of events and that happened, it changed my paradigm because she's the hardest working woman that I know. So I started calling homeless shelters and being like, hey, what do you guys need? They're like, we need blankets. So came up with the idea for every blanket that I sell, I'll donate a blanket to your local homeless shelter. And I called the company Sackcloth and Ashes because it's ancient Jewish symbolism, which means mourning and repentance. And so the idea of it was every time somebody wraps themselves in a sackcloth and ashes blanket, it symbolizes mourning over the homeless population and repentance by contributing to a shelter in their area. So I launched the company in 2014, and and so we're we're almost uh, at our 10 year mark. And um, since the launch of the company, you know, a lot's happened, and I'm sure we'll dive into to quite a bit of it. But I started with a sewing machine and a roll of fabric, and um, bootstrapped the company, and we had a couple early big breaks uh, early on, and that helped me get it off the ground. But yeah, we're almost at the 10 year mark, and we're still plugging away. Well, you, the first question that I was going to, you answer the, how, 
how'd you actually start and you did it right with your own bare hands. First and foremost, congratulations on the success, the journey, taking that step. I wanted to first ask, when you started, did you have any background in actually weaving or making blankets or anything like that? No, no. I drove down to Joanne's, bought a sewing machine, and uh, I tried to learn how to sew. I took some sewing lessons for like a couple of days and realized that I'm horrible at sewing. And so <laughs> I found a lady in my community named Tammy, and Tammy started making blankets for me. And and um, I just started putting the blankets in my trunk and driving up and down the Oregon coast, walking into shops and being like, Hey, here's why you guys should buy these blankets over the blankets on your shelf. Cause I'll drive down to your local shelter and donate all the blankets in my trunk. And, um, I got into probably 10 to 20 shops out of like 200, you know, most of them were just like, what are you doing? And, mm-hmm. uh, the, the big, the big break that really like took, took the, uh, company where I was like, Oh, this could actually work. You know, was I, one of the shops I walked into was anthropology. And I came in there like carrying a box of blankets. I'm like, Hey, you guys interested in buying blankets? And they're like, it doesn't really work like this, you know? Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, here's my business card. Can you make sure it gets to your manager? And so it, it just so happened that the anthropology corporate team came through that week and they emailed me and they said, we'll take 8,000 blankets. Wow. And it, it was just me, Tammy, who's making the blankets. And then my best friend quit his job and started helping out. And, um, and that was the first time that I was like, man, this thing actually has a shot at, at working. How old were you at this time? 24? Uh, 24. Yeah. 24. What did you do before that? Pretty much. Did you, did you, did you, did you have a a job or college or, or, you know, what, what was before, um, this time when you, when you did that? Yeah. My life was, um, massively impacted in high school, uh, cause I was involved in an organization called young life. And Young Life is like a a Christian organization that has Young Life leaders and they go into the school, build relationships with kids. And and the Young Life leader of the community, his name's Todd Tardy, he would come to the school and hang out with us. He'd work out with us, go to our games, you know, invite us over to his house for dinner. And he was just always around. And I grew up without a dad and and Todd being like a 35-year-old, 35, 38-year-old, somewhere around there, he kind of played that father figure in my life. and. Um, first person to ever tell me that I was a leader, first person to ever give me an opportunity to speak in front of a audience. Um, and he was just a, he was the first male figure in my life that I looked up to and was like, I want to be like that when I'm older. So young life had a massive impact on me and specifically Todd. And I wanted to be that for other people. So right when I graduated high school, uh, I thought I wanted to go to college. It wasn't really fit for me at the time. I dropped out, moved to Monmouth, Oregon, and in Monmouth, they didn't have a young life. And so I spent from 19 years old to 24 starting young life in that area. And that's where I really learned how a lot of my entrepreneurial skills, you know, I I learned how to build a team of people, form a committee, raise money, call people on a mission bigger than themselves, cast vision for a community, invest into the future generation, like a lot of huge qualities that I developed from 19 to 24 years old, ended up playing a massive factor in my starting of sackcloth and ashes and being able to make it work. And it was cool because sackcloth was 
you know, people were like, oh my God, sewing machine and starting with nothing and all that. That was familiar to me. I had already experienced an entire journey at 19 years old, starting with absolutely nothing except for looking up into the night sky and saying a prayer to God and saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm willing. And getting to watch doors open up and relationships be formed and teams to be built and communities to be transformed. I experienced all that before. So I started with nothing with Young Life and I got to watch an entire community change. And so by 24 years old, buying a sewing machine, making it happen, forming a team of people, having a clear vision. These are all things I've already done before and I was familiar with. So as much as it looked like I was this like scrappy guy and, you know, that I was going to go out and make something happen out of nothing. I'm like, this, that was my default. You, mm-hmm. you, get, you get to choose whatever you want to do and, and you can go out and make that happen. And that tracks with what you're saying, because when you said, yeah, I was going to these places and I'm, uh, you know, getting rejected all these times or like, you know, and you only getting into a couple doors, I, a lot of people with the the outside sales experience, whether it wasn't, I, I know a lot of people that, you know, when, when they're starting out and they're starting from scratch and doing it. So that tracks with that kind of sales experience and that entrepreneurship. So um, thank you for, for giving that, that context there. Uh, when you're 24 and you start this and you said, because your family had experienced homelessness, did you, did you run this by your mother or anybody else first? Like what was that conversation like as you started to get this rolling? Yeah. I mean, my mom was actually pretty off the grid at that time because she had moved from Oregon to Florida with a suitcase and two pairs of interview clothes. And she was trying to start a life over and during that process, that's when she experienced homelessness. Uh, She was battling some addictions and stuff like that. Um, So my mom and I really didn't talk about it much. Um, I came home with the sewing machine and a roll of fabric to my wife's surprise. And Mm, my wife, she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm starting a blanket company. (laughs) And she is like, (laughs) well, my next question, what did she say? And she said, um, I think it was something along the lines of like, no, you're fucking not. Or <laughs> um, what are you effing talking? Be like, I don't know. It was something in the realm of like, there was a obvious, like I'm of course, here's Bobby doing another, another idea and he's just going to do it. And th- this time just happened to be a blanket company. And it just felt like you're draining our savings account to buying sewing machine and a roll of fabric. You know, like it didn't make logical sense, but to me, I'm like, I got to make it happen. And you said like, here's another idea. It was, it was this a pattern. There were other things before that, that, that you tried. There wasn't anything that I actually like attempted from like an entrepreneurial standpoint. She just knew my pattern when it came to just like the minute, the organization that I was a part of with young life alone, like. I had started Young Life in Monmouth. I was planning on starting Young Life in Dallas, Oregon. And there was like, I wanted to kind of build out an entire region. So it was kind of just like always coming up with ideas, always coming up with things that I want to build and do. And um, yeah, I loved, I loved, I love building. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but in this particular case, it was like, here's a cool idea. 
finally mustered up enough courage to start it and then just went for it. And then when I went for it, it was kind of like the point of no return. I'm like, I got to do it. And I'm laser focused on it. And I didn't get too hung up on like the obstacles because you know how it is like a lot of people, oh, I can't sew. And I could have given up right there and there would be no sackcloth and ashes, you know. But instead, I'm like, okay, I can't sew. Who can sew? And you find somebody, find somebody that can do it. And so I, I realized early on, I'm like, I don't, I don't have to like do everything, but I got to just find the people that can do it and then partner with them, collaborate with them. And that became a very consistent theme uh, for my entrepreneurial journey is who's out there that I can work with, who is good at something that I'm not good with and how can I work with them to make that happen. And so I, the vision was clear for me, but I recognized early on that I'm not equipped to do all the things that I would need to do to be successful for this particular vision. I think a lot of people get discouraged when they're like, oh, I can't do this one thing. I think this probably isn't for me. And it's like, maybe that role's not for you, but maybe the vision is still, and you just got to figure out who can help you out. And maybe you don't have to know the end you just need to figure out the next step or, or the next thing. And that'll lead into, and, and you got to trust the, the path will appear. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I always tell people like if, as far as the entrepreneurial path, about nine out of every 10 things, isn't going to work out that the way you hope, but it's the one thing that works out that allows you to continue to move forward. And so mm. when things don't work out and th things aren't working out for me now, I mean, like there's, there's things that I'm, you know, pressing in full, full offense on that. I'm still today, nine years in almost 10 years in, I'm still getting rejected. I'm still, people are telling me, no, I'm still getting, you know, doubted, you know, on certain areas. And like, it's a part of it. You, you're going to get rejected nine out of 10 times on, on certain things. And it's, but it's the one thing that ends up working out. That's going to allow you to get to the next level. And, um, and that's been a very consistent theme in my entrepreneurial journey over the last 10 years. That's a great point. And, and something that I think about often is that you mentioned something about, you don't, you don't know everything, right? Like you don't know how to sew, or maybe you don't even good at accounting, but you hire an accountant or you don't know this. So you hire someone or you find somebody who can help you or answer some questions because many times you also don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And also what you don't know what's behind this door, right? So even if you got to knock on 10 doors, that one door that opens, there could be another 20 doors behind that one. And the frustration, they're like, oh man, now I got to knock on all those doors too. <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, there's 50 doors behind another one, but it's, it's just part of the journey. It's just part of the, part of the game. Yeah. As I'm thinking of it, I think that the core lesson there is don't let anybody be con in control of your narrative. Mm. Nobody else is in control of your narrative, but you, you are in control of your narrative. So don't let anybody dictate that. And I think that the journey of being rejected and your idea getting squashed by certain people, you can let that discourage you or you can continue to move forward into what your narrative is. And there's a lot of things that you're not in control of, but the one thing that you are for sure in control of is your personal narrative. 
and that's what you got to stay focused on. That reminds me of something that I learned early on when I was uh, early in my career. I was working for Cintas, you selling uh, uniforms and facility services, and I remember I'm not going to make this long story short, but I remember asking my coworker like, "How do you, how do you deal with the rejection? Like, how do you like constantly? We were in Temecula, it was Temecula, California. It was 115 degrees. I was sweating through my suit. I think one person that day even threw my business card back at my face. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the end of the day, I was like, "How how do you deal with this? Because I feel like I'm going crazy." And and he before he started the car up, you know, air conditioner was coming on. And he put a piece of gum in his mouth and he was like, attitude and activity. That's all you can control. Your attitude and your activity. He's like, and as long as you don't let anybody else negatively impact that, then everything works out. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it, it's real. this was what, almost 16 years ago? No, more than that. 17 years ago now. And I remember the feeling at that time thinking like, what, what is that? Like, I, I try to think of other things that you know that would prove him wrong but i couldn't he was right it's like that's all you can control and um and that tracks with exactly what you're saying you that's all you can control in your narrative yeah that's really good um so let me ask you this so how do you deal with it are are there any you know, there's a lot of things that when things aren't going right, is there any tools that, that you found to be helpful in your, um, as you're dealing with the, the stress, the, you know, I hear a lot of people like, you know, there's meditation, there's people go for walks in nature. Is there anything that you do to, to help? I try to stay focused on the future. That's been one of my biggest assets. And what I mean by that is that I do have a healthy understanding of if things don't work out the way I hope, I do have a plan. But I do like to fantasize on things working out more often than not. And what the plan is going to be in case it does work out. And I think that, like, for example, like things that frustrate me is if I'm just finding myself talking about the problems or the concerns or whatever that's going on, you get really bogged down and it strips you from your creativity and your, your ability to innovatively think, what are our, what are our next steps to move forward into where we're heading? And so I really, really try to stay focused on the future, like the next couple steps of like, where are we heading? Where do we want to go? Where do we want to be at the end of the year? And really continuing to think a little bit further out so that we understand like executing right now has a purpose to it. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my biggest discoveries with homelessness is that your poverty level is determined by how far out you can see. And so, whereas you and I might be thinking, you know, year down the road, a person on the streets is maybe thinking, where am I going to get my next meal? And when you can start to provide certain services to that person and helping you know, provide a meal to them and help them get a shower and help them maybe get a place to stay. You're allowing them to create space to think a little further down the road. And your poverty level is determined by how far out you can see. And so with that in mind, I'm trying to constantly put myself in a place where I'm seeing a little bit further because it's helping me get to a place where, you know, I don't want to be in poverty or bankrupt in my innovation and my creativity. 
I want to be rich in my creativity. And so when I'm saying poverty, it's not necessarily just resources. It's also, you know, ways of doing things, skill sets that you have, you know, you don't want to be broke in creativity because you're worrying about how am I going to pay my next thing, you know, and you got to force yourself, you know, to see a little further down the road to start expanding your mind so that your creativity gets a little bit enriched. And, um, so that keeps me in a little bit of an optimistic state, even though there's a lot of things I could look around obviously all the time and get really bogged down about. I think that's a, that's a fantastic point. And I, and I, and I love the, the concept. What, one of the things that, that jumps out to me that I, I would love to expand upon is like, how do you break the cycle of that, of time, of time? Right. Like, is it, is, is your way of just like trying to help people help provide that cushion, um, you know, that cup, that covered the blanket, the meal, the shower, um, that I don't want to put it this way. So it's just so simplistic, but is there something more that we can do? And maybe this is part of the creativity and why we need to be talking about these things is how do you help people create that space and expand that gap? And does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So from a team standpoint, um, usually it's clarity. So like, right, like right now, I'm kind of in a little bit of a structure shift in my company. And I, in order to make things highly productive in this next season, I'm kind of restructuring the company. And in order to do that in an effective way, before I just start like talking to a bunch of people and start trying to restructure things right now, I'm getting everything that I have, all my vision, thoughts, everything out into a Canva deck. Mm -hmm. And then I'll start designing that Canva deck to make it both clear from a language standpoint, but also a design standpoint. So by the time that I bring it to my team, there's an entire plan that's crafted that's beautifully designed and created where everyone can kind of take a step back and breathe and go, this is where we're heading. This is where we're heading. And it's clear to me. I'm not scrambling going, Oh, what's my role in this? How is things going to look? And you know, when you go through seasons like that, you're in panic mode and you're thinking right now, mm -hmm. but when things are clear and there's a clear picture and a clear vision and it's well-designed, the team can go, oh, okay, here's my role. Here's what teams I'm on. And here's who I report to. And here's how I collaborate with other people. And you make it extremely clear. Then I think that that frees up space for people to really start thinking down the road for themselves um, on who they are going to be in the midst of this vision that's being casted. And I think that when things aren't clear, usually employees are thinking day to day, they don't like their job. They're doing what's expected of them to the exact line. And they don't care outside of work, you know? And I think that I'm trying to create a little bit more of like a vision where it's like people genuinely care about what they're building alongside other people and that they're held accountable more to a community of people that's on a very clear vision. So I think that that's where it's like, if you want to help people see further down the road, 
you have to a keep it really simple and make it really really clear for them like elementary level communication where are we heading and why is that important that's going to help people start thinking longer term it's going to make people start becoming more excited about what they're building and what they're a part of um and oh man what was it uh there's an incredible quote that was like, if you want to get, if you want an entire like crew to be excited, don't teach them how to man the deck. Teach them about the vast and open seas. Mm. They're going to man the deck if they're excited about the vast and open seas. Get them, get them thinking and imagining what is out there. What can we do? And then the managing the deck is not going to be as uh, tedious and something that we're doing, even though we don't know where we're going. It's like, get them excited about the vast and open seas, where we're heading, you know? Yeah. And so I love that. That, yeah. That's a big part of, I feel like what I try to do with the community that I'm a part of is like constantly keep us focused on like what's coming up. You know, th- this is, I love this conversation. And one of the things that I know my, my wife and I have talked about this several times because I, I feel like I am a creative, you know, I, I just, there's things that, and similar to the what, what you've expressed, like sometimes I have an idea, like, Oh, I've got to, I got to do this. Like I, I feel called to it. I need to get this, this creativity. I need to try this thing. And um, one of the things that we've talked my wife and I've talked about is that it's, if you're in a state, of stress or you're in a state of, you know, I don't want to say panic, but it's hard to be creative. It's hard to be creative. If you're in this, in this place where your resource, your mental resources are focused, not to get too, you know, like how this, this relates to evolution. But if you're worried about, to your point, like your meal, your shower, your, your safety, then there, I guess there is a creativity. Like you better, you better figure it out. You better, but it's either that fight or flee. But if you are in a place of, okay, I now I can put these resources, my mental energy, my physical, spiritual energy towards creation, um, then, then you can be creative. And I love what you're saying about the clarity. And if things are clear, then maybe you're, you're not so much in that stress state that you can be creative and you can be bought in a hundred percent. And that's why I'm like, I go crazy if I'm not clear on what the vision is for my own self. And so um, I did find that quote here. It is. It says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. You were close. (laughs) That was pretty close. I was close. You're really close. Uh, And that's a good one. I agree. Um, but yeah, I think that the creating clarity, even just for myself on every level is, is the way to allow me to create space to where I can be creative and think of innovative ways that we can move forward rather than feeling like I'm maxed out every single day on just the tasks of running a business. And it's a tough thing to do, but you got to fight for that clarity and fight for your own sanity. And I think that's the only way that you're going to be in it for the long run. There, there are several things that I want to make sure that we, that we discuss here and maybe we can weave in and out of them. I know 
that's a pretty bad pun there because what you do. But I also want to talk about what the Love Your City podcast. Yeah. Uh, could you could you talk a little bit about that and how that came to be? Yeah. So um, uh, one of the cool things that I've gotten to be a part of, of with sackcloth and ashes has been we send blankets to over 600 shelters in the U.S. But one of the things that I get to do is I actually get to do blanket drops where we visit homeless shelters or programs and get to pass out blankets in person. And after doing that for five years and almost like bi-weekly, we like I've gotten to meet some of the best grassroots leaders in the United States and have gotten to see some of the best solutions when it comes to helping the homeless problem. And so after you meet with these people over and over again, I was like, two things really stood out. One, I'm like, I should be recording these conversations. And two is that I started to realize the real influencers, like the real influencers in society are the grassroots leaders who are actually stepping up consistently to do something about their community. And it's not the politicians, it's not the corporate leaders, it's grassroots leaders that are the people that I'm trying to get a photo with. You know what I mean? Like, it's the people that are have been showing up for 20 years and, and serving their community and doing something about problems that everyone's talking shit about on media, but they're not doing anything about it. Their advocacy online is bankrupt. But you got these grassroots leaders who have been building this like long-term equity of a voice of people that we should be hearing from that we're just not hearing from as much as, much as we should be. And so I, I made the decision in 2021 to travel the United States on a weekly basis and interview some of the best grassroots leaders that I've met um, that I've come across. And so I got to meet with, um, yeah people from, you know, Jordan Verdeen, who started Humanity Showers here in my community. He's providing showers to almost all of the homeless community in Oceanside, California. Um, he has over 100 volunteers, five shower, mobile shower trailers, and he's running the entire operation, 100% volunteer run, and off of a $2,500 a month budget. And he's servicing over 1,000 people a month. So that's a case study. We should be learning from this individual on 2,500 bucks a month. When we think cutting all these big philanthropy checks and everything are actually making progress, you got people out here coming up with solutions that are actually 2,500 bucks a month who are servicing more people than all the other homeless programs in the community. So it's important we hear from people like him. You know, I think of Alan Graham in Austin, Texas who created an entire community out there called Community First Village. And they've built tiny homes for the entire homeless community in the Austin area where people come and live. And Alan Graham lives in the community with the people. And it's an actual community. And so it's just stuff like that that I'm like, we should be learning from. These are case studies from some of the smartest, brightest, people that are thinking local, think people that are thinking community. And that's the only way we're going to solve these problems. That's what I learned from my tour um, was if we're going to solve our problems like homelessness or any other major problem we're dealing with, it's got to be done on a local level. And so my podcast, Love Your City, was interviewing grassroots 
leaders that are actually taking action in their communities and trying to give them a platform. And so if you want to hear the podcast, it's uh, you can go to lovecity.org and you can click on podcast. And then lovecity.org is also a website my team built where you can search your city and we'll show you all the, the best grassroots organizations in your community and how you can get involved. Um, and, yeah. and I'll, I'll share a link to not only your profile, but loveyourcity.org and sackcloth and ashes. Everything will be included in the show notes for this. So again, and anything else that you want to share, but I, again, that tracks with, with who you are. Uh, and that's part of what I am doing with, my show, which is similar, not the same, but I've run across so many fantastic people that are doing, and I'm, and lot, many times I'm like, how have I not heard of this before? Like, how oh. is this just now getting to, yeah. to my, to my cell phone or my, my computer? How am I just learning about that? And whatever platform that I have, if I can learn more about those people that I'm impressed by present company included, and I can share your message and amplify your voice, then that's what I'm going to do. Because, uh, again, everything that that you're that you're doing and you're sharing, this is this is amazing stuff. It's amazing stuff. When you when you met when you meet these people and you go to these different cities, what does what does that um, that outreach look like? Is it primarily first through the sackcloth and ashes, and then you're like, hey, I'm going to be there. Like, I want to see what you're doing. Like, how do you, how do you find most of these interactions that you're coming across? Yeah, I started with just doing blanket drops with a lot of these people. And then once I got to meet them, I could tell you, you know, pretty much some of the best grassroots work that's going on in the United States. So when I went on kind of my podcast tour in 2021, I, it was very planned out, like mm -hmm. very specific people, very specific cities that I wanted to go to and interview. Um, now, 2023, we just launched our impact tour. And so this is kind of the next phase of it. And we're going to a different city every month and we're hosting live impact tours where we're for the first time inviting people to come and serve with us. And we host a workshop where we facilitate a conversation for about an hour around localism. And then we go and serve together at an organization. And then after we serve together, we go out for appetizers and drinks and just connect and everything. So uh, we just rolled out those tour dates through loveyourcitytour.com. And loveyourcitytour.com, you'll be able to see all the cities we're going to, all the organizations we're serving at. And you can RSVP if you want to come serve with us if we're coming to your city. So we're taking it from like, you know, providing blankets to shelters to giving a voice to the people doing good grassroots work to now hosting events where you personally can come and learn about the work that's actually going on in your community for the chance to maybe get involved. Um, so the Love Your City Tour is kind of like now real events that people are showing up. We did our first two events the last two months. First one was in New York City. It went awesome. Group of people came out, served with us. Um, and then the last one we did was, uh, two weeks ago in San Francisco. And so our next event is in Los Angeles in August. Then we're going to Portland in September. Then we're going to Nashville in October, Oahu in November, 
and then uh, San Diego in December. And then there's a whole series of dates for next year. But I'm just going to keep it going. Like right now, the tour ends in June of 2024. But I'm just I'm going to keep it going. Um, mm -hmm. We already planned out one. I think it's going to be July of 2024. We're going to do one in London. Um, and I'm just going to keep them going, dude, because I, I think people are looking for a way to get involved. And the, these impact events are going to be hopefully like the start of something that I'm kind of beta testing to where we can really start doing these more frequently around around the country and beyond where people can come and actually get involved and learn about solutions in their community. But we have a great time. Well, and, th and that's huge when you're having a great time and you're doing great things and it's impactful. That's, I mean, that's what it's all about. If you can find, that's the sweet spot right there. But let me, let me ask you this because, um, do you feel, and especially you said that, you know, on a, on a $2,500 a month budget that this person's doing these amazing things from what you've seen in community involvement is there anything that strikes you that you wish more people knew besides that like it, it doesn't take as much money to make an impact is there anything else that you've seen in talking to these people that you're like you know i wish people understood that you can do x and it will have this result is there anything else that jumps out to you like that um Every community is so different, and that's why I think approaching these problems on a local level is very, very important. Um, and so, like, the way that Jordan Verdine is approaching providing showers to people in Oceanside is in line with his story and his narrative and also what the community needs. Um, the way Alan Graham's approaching building tiny homes for people in Austin was very strategic and specific to what they needed at the time. And so every city is different. Every organization or leaders are kind of approaching it differently. And there, there isn't like, there isn't one that like stands out that I'm like, oh, like we should all be doing that as much as it's more of, so the philosophy and the approach, like mm -hmm. what I'm recognizing in all these people is that they're staying true to their story. They're staying true to what they're good at. Um, it's very authentic to them. Like it's not something that they're doing for like publicity and, and like, Oh, I'm going to start a give back thing to, because it's the right thing to do. It's connected to their story. Um, like this, the whole, like the sackcloth narrative would be so much different if I was just like, yeah, I randomly started a blanket company and like, you know, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's, but it's connected to my story. Like it's, it's, it's a very personal thing for me. So I think that that's one thing I've noticed that a lot of these grassroots leaders have in common is they might be approaching it with a different type in a different type of way, but the energy and the way that they're serving people and the, the amount of people that they're helping, it's just, it might look like it's through a different vehicle, but the philosophy and the approach is the same. Well, and I've heard a lot of people say the, the why, like where the why is and that why is a part of the story. And that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I, I would, one of the things that I've realized that I've noticed, especially more so in the mentorship piece of it. And this goes into part of my, why in my career, I don't feel like I've had many, or maybe I didn't identify or I didn't recognize them to be mentors at the time. I, I don't know, but I felt like I didn't have a lot of mentors in my career. And I stand by that. But 
I will also say one thing that now I started and my why and, and doing mentorships with, with some young professionals and young people um, and sometimes not even young people, just people that, that are like, Hey, I, I'm trying to, I have trying to figure this out. Sometimes it doesn't, it's, it doesn't take that much to make a big impact. And maybe I was kind of alluding to that and I wouldn't try to put words in your mouth, but I feel like that's one thing that also is true that when you have that, why, when you have that sense of purpose, you know, and also if you don't even realize how much you've learned on your journey, sometimes you can hear somebody's question and say, Oh, well, yeah, well maybe just try this, this and that. And they're like, Oh my God, thank you. That was huge. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even realize I'd learned that over time, but just spending those five minutes, 10 minutes actually helped this person a lot. Yep. hundred yeah. percent. And I think that that's where it's like a lot of these people start by doing something really simple. And then it evolves into this bigger story and that they weren't deaf. They weren't expecting it to go that direction, you know, but it turned into something really beautiful and, and perfectly tailored to what both aligned with them and aligned with their community. And the, the challenges, the obstacles that they, that you may or may not face, but I know you do face them in your, in your organization and trying to find that clarity. Do you feel that your why in this is a big part of the fuel that keeps it, keeps it going? Yeah. So much so that like, if I, if I wasn't able to do like my mission through sackcloth, I wouldn't be a part of sackcloth. I would be a part of something else. And that's why I don't feel like you know, a lot of people call your business, oh, it's your baby and all this stuff. And I'm like, it's really not for me. Like sackcloth is, um, it's the vehicle in which I am fulfilling my mission right now. Hmm. And that vehicle might change down the road. And interesting. And so it's cool because it's through the vehicle of business and I'm learning a lot and it provides resources to help fund what I want to do. But it's not something that I'm like attached to on the in in a way that like I'm more I'm more loyal to my mission than I am my business. Um and so my why it, my why and my mission is to help empower people to make a local impact. And because I'm truly, truly convinced that if we're not approaching problems on a local level, we're not going to, we're not going to move the needle. We're not going to have a shot. I really believe that. So I'm dedicating the rest of my life to the concept of localism and local impact. And so what's cool about that is I don't have to feel obligated to be the hero in any city, including my own. And it takes all this pressure away from, you know, my generation coming up was like, oh, we want to be world changers. And it's like, that's not possible. What if you really want to change something, change your community, be a mm -hmm. part of trip, be a part of doing, playing a small role, playing your role in your community and your family. And if you can do that, and if everyone does that, we will change the world. So it's, it's this like, take out the heroism and take out the ego and you get left with, let's talk about the real sustainable way of making impact. That's local, uh, localism. And so with sackcloth, you're going to start seeing everything is going to be local from our branding. 
Like mm-hmm. for every blanket you buy, we provide a blanket to your local homeless shelter. <clears throat> I'm going to be rebranding uh, Blanket the United States, our campaign. Mm. And if I went back and did it all over again, I wouldn't launch Blanket the United States. That's a national campaign where sackcloth is the hero in the situation. That's not what we're after. We want to help empower people and organizations to make a local impact. That's the future of where I'm taking the company. And so if I couldn't do that through the company, then I'm going to find another organization to do that under. But that is what I'm going to dedicate the rest of my career to is whatever vehicle it's through, helping empower people and organizations to make a local impact. That is what we are trying to accomplish. Well, Bob, you're, you're ringing my bell with that one because that's, uh, that's something I feel strongly about. And something that I realized is that you can only make ripples in the pond that you're in, right? I don't know. You, you, you can't, you can't control, you can talk about controlling your narrative, you know, you can't control other people's, you can't do any of that. Just make, make an impact where you are and, and make ripples in the pond that you're in. And that if that can inspire and help other people um, make ripples in their pond, so be it, but you don't have control of that either. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Yeah. It's just, it's time to focus and play your role. And I think that we're in a culture right now where there's a lot of finger pointing and there's a lot of blaming the government and corporations and like, you can keep going down the list. If we were all just focused on what is my role and what am I supposed to do to be a contributor in my community, that's where we're going to make the most change. And so it is that simple. Like we, we got to stop overcomplicating it and we got to stop bitching and complaining as if it's everybody else's fault that these problems exist in our community when it might not be your fault, but you have the opportunity to actually do something about it. That's taking responsibility uh, for your community. And coming back to our previous thought on narrative, you're also in control of the narrative of your community. And so don't let any, don't let the, don't, let's not outsource the narrative of our communities to the government. You know what I mean? Like, why are we letting them be in control of the narrative? Let's, Let's take control back from the government, corporations, all these things. And let's start, you know, uh, making an impact ourselves uh, in a small way. And if we all, if enough people do that, we change things. I got to read this because it just came up on my last call. Literally right before I hopped on here, I was having a conversation with somebody on my team and I was, we were talking about similar concepts and uh, a bug's life came up. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm listening. And so have you seen, I'm not a bug's life. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, oh yeah, no, it's a, it's a bug's life. You know, in, in a bug's life where the, the grasshoppers come. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it. So I'm, I'm okay. My, well, my, my bug's life trivia might be a little rusty. No, that's okay. That's okay. Well, you got all the, like the little ants and everything. And then the grasshoppers come and they demand food from the ants that are working nonstop day and night to provide food for mm-hmm. the grasshoppers. And uh, and here here's a quote from one of the grasshoppers. 
He says, you let one ant stand up to us and all might, they all might stand up to us. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if you, and if we ever let them figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. So that's coming from the grasshoppers, right? Which represent mm-hmm. like corporation, government, big retail, whatever you want to put in there, right? This is a flick. System, like, systems of control. Systems of control. And then here's a quote from Flick, who's like the main little ant that went on the adventure and like changed things. He says, ants are not meant to serve grasshoppers. I've seen these ants do great things. And year after year, they somehow manage to pick food for themselves and for you. So who's the weaker species? Ants don't serve grasshoppers. It's who needs, it's you who needs us. We're a lot stronger than you say we are, and you know it, don't you? You know, so I think that there's this like interesting narrative there where as an, as ants, as a colony, we have the stronger ability to actually create change and we got to stop living in the control or d- dishing out the con- the control and the narrative out to, you know, systems of con- uh, uh, historically of controlled society and controlled mm-hmm. our narrative. And I think it's time to take our narrative back. And part of that is simply what can I do to make a difference in my local community and start caring for the people in my community? Um, And I think that if enough people did that, like we would see some really, really legitimate change. Um, So uh, that's what I'm advocating for, for, for the rest of my life is like local impact, supporting local solutions, getting involved alongside local grassroots leaders who are paving the way. Um, but there's good work that's happening in every community. There's always those people that are stepping up. How can we support them and how can we join them? You know? Um, but that's where it starts. Bob, that was, um, I thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Um, I know it's not easy. I I know there's challenge. I know there's a lot of decisions that you have to make that are hard, but I got to tell you, from my vantage point, from my seat, you are doing some amazing things. And I hope even this conversation has helped me a lot uh, to get to know you better. It's actually inspired me. Um, and I hope that in some way I can, I can continue to support you and, and provide something for you and, and help you as you're in this journey, because it's important and your message is important. Your activity is important. And who you are is extremely impressive. So thank you again for everything you're doing and thank you for sharing this time. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on, man. I'm always these, anytime I do an interview, it's kind of like therapy, getting to talk through some of the things that, you know, the reasons that keep me going. And uh, so it's always beneficial for me as well. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. And, and again, I'll include all of your information I'll share in the, in the show notes but let's stay in touch, man. And um, I, I'm really excited to follow the rest of your journey and again, support it in any way that I can. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, 
leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.